0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the word of our God. Together we turn to 1 John, the first letter of John, the third chapter. We're going to read the verses 11 to 24. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends if our hearts, do not condemn us. We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We continue our series of sermons on Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. This morning we come to 1 Corinthians 13. So our text actually begins, however, at the last verse of 1 Corinthians 12, the second part of verse 31, and goes to the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, face, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, In our series of sermons on Paul's letters to the Church at Corinth, we have arrived this morning at perhaps the most famous chapter of all. For who, after all, has not heard about 1 Corinthians 13? Who has not heard about its treatment of love? Who has not heard these words or perhaps even quoted them in one setting or another? When boy meets girl and they get into a conversation about the real glue that holds human relationships together, they will often turn and examine these words. And in particular, they may list the things that love is, patient and kind. As well, they may list the things that love is not, it is not, envious, boastful, proud, rude, self-seeking, eagerly angered and it keeps no record of wrongs, and so forth. And when it is wedding time, a couple about to tie the knot may well ask the pastor to dwell on this particular chapter or a part of it and use it as their wedding text. And what attracts them especially is the fact that, as Paul writes, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. It's good to be reminded that in a world where everything changes, there is at least one thing that should never change, and that is love. When it is wedding anniversary time, then too this chapter may be cited. In particular, if the marriage has been long and happy, then the celebrating couple may make some comments to the effect this is really true. What is true? Why those words about, or from the Apostle Paul, about having everything, but that without love, it really is nothing. Well, beloved, it's obvious then that the words of our text are used rather widely and rather often. Often they are used fittingly, but Not always. For what is sometimes forgotten is that this chapter often is not quoted within its context. And when we ask ourselves, what is the context of 1 Corinthians 13? Is it courtship? Is it marriage? Is it a wedding anniversary? Then we have to say, no, the context is much wider than that. Indeed, the context, beloved, is all about spiritual gifts in the church of Jesus Christ. The context has everything to do with that new section that the Apostle Paul started back in 1 Corinthians 12 and that ends at 1 Corinthians 14. It begins now about spiritual gifts, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. And it ends, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Well now, beloved, in the midst of this rather large section on spiritual gifts, we find this chapter about love. And what that means is that before we embrace it as the key to life and human relationships, we should not forget why the Apostle Paul wrote it in the first place. And therefore, I'd like to preach to you this morning on the following theme, Love, the Most Excellent Way. And why is it the most excellent way? Well, because it is an indispensable way, it's an inexhaustible way, and it's an infinite way as well. Well, beloved, that the chapters 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians are closely related, as obvious from the last verse of chapter 12. Officially, verse 13 or 31b belongs to chapter 12. And yet, as you can read in your NIV Bible, it's almost always taken together with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And what that shows you is that these two particular chapters of Holy Writ cannot be divorced from one another. They belong together, and in a sense, they need to be read together. And when we do that, what do we see? Well, we see a situation in which the Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthian believers about how rich and fantastically endowed they are. He tells them that the Holy Spirit and his ministry among them has resulted in a huge outpouring of all manner of gifts. And you can read about that in chapter 12, about how they are in possession of the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith, miraculous powers, prophecies, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues... It's an astounding variety, and yet it all comes from one and the same Spirit. But there is more, for not only are there many gifts, but all of those gifts are mentioned or are mentioned in order to function in the one body called the church. No one is allowed to take his gift or his gifts, run off, find a corner somewhere, and play with them all alone. And neither is anyone allowed to elevate his gifts to the exclusion of all others. As a human body needs many parts to function well. So the same goes for the church. Every member needs to embrace their gift and use it as part of and for the well-being of the entire body. As I've said before, in the church there are no lone ranger Christians. Now that, beloved, is how it's supposed to be. But we ask, is that how it worked in Corinth? Unfortunately, the answer is no. What happened there is that members treated their gifts very selfishly. Instead of using them to promote the health and the unity of the body, they, they were using them in such a way that they were fragmenting and polarizing the body. A member would hold up his particular gift and claim that it really was superior to that of his neighbor. And the result was jealousy, a false competitiveness, a lot of anger and endless argument. They were so busy pigeonholing and ranking their gifts and trying to be one up on one another that they were in danger of spoiling what the Spirit had given them. And so now, beloved, it's because of that the Apostle Paul writes the words that you find in the opening verses of our chapter. Here we have a man who has the gift of tongues. And he claims that he is head and shoulder above everyone else. Is that true? Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men... And of angels. But I have not love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Notice how Paul in a way exaggerates here. He says to this particular member, as well as to all those who are like him, if you can speak in tongues, why, even if you could speak like the angels, but if if love is absent, then you are, then you are what? Well, Paul refers to a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, what that actually is, we're not, we're not quite sure. But still, I don't think that the meaning here, the thrust of what he's saying is hard to grasp. Paul is saying that without love, no matter how gifted you may be, you're nothing more than a gong show, And you're nothing more than a lot of noise. Without love, You're not making music that inspires and lifts and soothes and edifies. No, you're making a racket. And you're grating on the nerves of other people. Tongues without love are but a noisy sideshow. And he says the same thing goes for the next gift prophecy. If tongues are considered to be the number one spiritual gift in the church, then it seems likely that prophecy is close behind. It ranks way up there as well. But again, if a member has this gift, and and even if he claims that it can clear up all mysteries, but there is no love, then Paul says it's, it's nothing. And indeed, Paul puts it stronger than that. He sees some of these members strutting around like peacocks, thinking that they are God's gift to the church of Christ and to humanity because they can prophesy. Because they can fathom all mysteries. Because they possess knowledge. Because they claim to have a really strong face. And he sees them. But he sees they lack love. And what then? Well, he says then you're nothing. You're just a big, fat, humongous zero. Your arrogance and your conceit nullifies your gift. And you can see he goes on and he says the same applies to those who are super generous and into great self-denial. He refers to those who give all they possess to the poor or who surrender their bodies to the flames. And and maybe those are the two noblest deeds, the most generous things that people can possibly do. What, What examples to others? And maybe that reference to to flames alludes back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were stuffed into the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever the case may be, without love, all of these fine actions produce nothing of value. And so we we'll love it clearly what the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthians about then, and what he's warning us through the Spirit about today is that you may be the smartest guy in this church, or you may be the most gifted lady in the whole congregation. But if how you act and what you do is not draped in love, it's all worthless and useless. There's a saying, love makes the world go round. That may be and probably is an exaggeration. It may be better to say, love is what oils the church. It and it alone enables the members and their gifts to function smoothly and to function well. So beloved, the issue that confronts you and I together this morning is, how do we use the gifts that God has given to each of us? Do we hold up our gift? And do we think that we are superior to all the other members in this church? Or do we embrace our gift and and use it humbly and use it in a spirit of love and devotion, of care and of tenderness? How do we use our gifts? Of course, that in itself raises some more questions. And one of them is this, what really is this love? The Apostle Paul is speaking about so much here in 1 Corinthians 13. What's the nature of what is by now surely an indispensable quality? Well, you find it described in the verses 4 to 7. And if you look at that answer, first of all, look at it in its entirety. It's a very surprising and beautiful answer. And one of the reasons why it's so beautiful is because it's made up of a lot of verbs. And thereby, Paul is alerting us to the fact that love is not something static. And neither is it something that we convey only by words or thoughts. Why, he says it's not even just an inner feeling or emotion. No, he says it's something dynamic, something active. It's something that you show and you demonstrate in very concrete ways. And how so? Well, look. Look first at the positive side of love. Love, he says, is patient. That means this love knows how to wait. It's patient with people. It's patient with circumstances. Why did God allow mankind to in- invent shopping malls? It's to teach all of you men patience. Love is patient. Love is kind, friendly, generous, tender. It thinks the best of others. It speaks the best of others. It does the best for others. And then very quickly Paul switches over to the negative side. He says love does not envy. That simply means it's not jealous. It doesn't have intense negative feelings when it comes to the achievements or to the success of others. And love, he says, doesn't boast. It's not full of itself. Have you ever met a pompous or pious windbag? They're out there, you know. They're those people who cannot stop talking about themselves, their plans, their successes, their achievements. And you can go on. And he says love is not proud. Literally he says love doesn't puff up. That's a word that comes back more frequently in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. As if it was a special problem among them. Unlike love which builds up, this is the kind of stuff that puffs up and up and up until it explodes and blows up. And when it blows up, it blows up homes and marriages and relationships and churches. But Paul says love doesn't do that. And he also says love is not rude. Actually, he means by that that love does not behave indecently. The word that he uses has sexual overtones and is actually a reference to shameful behavior. In other words, a husband full of love will not embarrass his wife either by his talk or by his actions. And Paul goes on and he says, love is not self-seeking. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It's not always after its own interests, its own agendas, its own desires. No, it seeks to promote the interests of others. And he answers, well, love is not, this love is not easily anchored. Literally, it's not cantankerous. I love the sound of that word, cantankerous, but not its meaning. Or describe somebody who is always irritable. You say the slightest thing wrong in their presence, and they're all over you. Whenever you're with these kind of people, it's like walking on eggshells. Well, Paul says love, Christian love, is not cantankerous. And he says as well, love keeps no record of wrongs. It, it, it literally keeps no books on evil. And the picture here is of a person who remembers every slight, every offense, every wrong, and who is just waiting for the opportune time to remind you about it and to rub it in. They keep a record of wrongs. A constant record. But Paul says love doesn't do that. And neither, he says, does love delight in evil. He doesn't rejoice when it comes to injustice. Unfortunately, some Christians secretly love to see other Christians squirm. In the Corinthian setting, it seems that some of them love to see their brothers squirm in court. And they got a special high out of it. Well, beloved, all in all, the Apostle Paul gives us eight negatives here. But still, you can also note something else, and that is that he does not end on a negative note. For toward the end of his list, he swings back toward the positive, and he says, Love rejoices with the truth. In other words, it's glad when the truth prevails. And of course, not all people are if truth benefits our neighbor in one way or another, it makes some people sour and bitter. But, but that's not love. Because love regards the truth as precious. And that's not all. For love, he sums up as something that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Or as another translation has it, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Quite simply, it never loses faith and it never loses hope. It puts up with everything. It even holds on during trouble and affliction. I love it when you look at this list. When you look at what is described here, you have to say, this is quite, quite the quality. There is a sense in which if you possess it, you possess everything that you need for daily living. And indeed, if you want to live this life and God intends for you to live it, you can say, here's the key. And if you have trouble understanding how this works, then I would say to you, look at our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. There you have a living example of love in action. And if you wonder about your failures in this particular department, then you need to look to him again for that blood that covers all of our sins. And for that perfect obedience that does away with all of our disobedience. And if you're mystified as to how to grow in this quality, how to mature in it, then listen to the Word of God. And pray to the Spirit of God to fill you. Indeed, beloved, here is a standard to live by. Sometimes we refer to the Ten Commandments as the rule of thankful living. Well, the same could be said about Paul's description of love. We do well to memorize it. We do better to apply it to our words and to our actions. And we do best to ask God to fill our lives with it more and more. After all, beloved, if there is something indispensable as well as inexhaustible about this love, there is also, I would remind you, something infinite about it. Look at the final verses, the verses 8 to 13. The opening words of verse 8 tell the story, Love, this love, never fails. And then look at the closing words of verse 13. But the greatest of these is love. Paul says, love, this love lasts, and this love prevails. And you know, that cannot be said of every and each spiritual gift. As Paul goes on and he says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You see, some Corinthian Christians assumed that their gift would last forever. There will always be prophecies. There will always be tongues. There will always be knowledge. But Paul says that's not true. There is, as it were, a built-in obsolescence when it comes to all of those gifts. None are permanent. None get perfected. And why is that? Well, because Paul says in verses 9 and 10, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. In other words, he's saying during this present time, we do not know everything and because we do not know everything, we are in need of these particular gifts. But he says one day we shall need them no longer. One day perfection will come. And when it does, everything that is imperfect will be no more. So when is that? When will that be? Well, beloved, there are different views on that. Some people say that perfection arrives when the church finally matures. Others say that perfection arrives when all of the books of the Old Testament have been written, recognized, and the canon closes. Still others say that perfection only arrives when Christ Jesus returns on the clouds of heaven. Which view is correct? Well, but I think the last view is the correct one. And I think it's also supported by what the Apostle Paul says next. For example, he he uses a number of examples. The first one is a child. When he says, I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I sought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And he also refers to a mirror. Now we see but a poor reflection in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And he also refers to knowledge. Now I know in part. But then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so I ask you, beloved, when shall we finally be mature? And another word for mature is perfect. And when shall we finally see everything clearly as it really is? And when shall we really know fully I cannot imagine that happening before Christ returns and on this side of the new heaven and the new earth. For only when Christ comes back shall we be perfectly mature. Shall we see face to face? Shall we possess perfect knowledge? All of the gifts mentioned here thus far are for the interim. They will not last. And so Paul says, do not absolutize these gifts. The only thing he says that will last is what he refers to in verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these... It's love. You know, beloved, faith will last because faith is the basis and the ground on which we stand. And hope will last because hope is at the heart and the center of the Christian faith and the Christian life now and forever. And love will last because, as Paul says elsewhere, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Yes, these three will last. But remember that of these three, the greatest is love. It's the first fruit of the Spirit, it's the final virtue, it's the most fitting quality, because after all, God himself is love. And so, beloved, pursue love. As attractive and as sensational some of these other qualities and gifts may be, Realize that this is the one that rules supreme and lasts forever. Eagerly desire, Paul writes, the greater gifts. And really that means make love your aim. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.